Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Chelsea Handler gets funny and personal in her HBO Max special, Evolution. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, another first-time guest on today's podcast, the very talented, the very funny, Chelsea Handler. Different sort of guest than we usually have on the podcast, but I'm thrilled nonetheless to have Chelsea because she has done so much amazing work over the last, I guess, what, probably decade plus, especially, is really when she kind of came into her own. Um, but a celebrated stand-up comedian, a talk show host, an author. She has a new podcast. She's kind of dabbled in everything everything, and really succeeded in every aspect of the industry. And when you just get right down to it, she's super talented, super smart and funny, and um, opinionated and willing to, you know, tell it like it is. And these are all the aspects that you want in a great guest. So thrilled to talk to uh, this very, very funny and talented person uh, who has a bunch of new projects worth checking out. I really enjoyed Chelsea's new, I guess new-ish. She, she taped it during the pandemic. It came out, I think, a few months ago, but it's kind of getting a second life as we get into uh, Emmy consideration season and all that kind of fun stuff. But um, I'm glad I ch- this gave me a chance to catch up with Evolution, which is on HBO Max, which is uh, a stand-up special, I think partially adapted from one of her recent books. Um, but as I alluded to, it's very funny and very personal. It touches on kind of all the aspects of Chelsea's life that you're used to hearing, whether it's sex and drugs, but also gets, you know, pretty deep and personal by the end, talking about her own her own losses as a kid from um, losing a brother at, at a horribly young age and her dad and the effects that those have had, uh, those losses have had on her life. So um, really, really dug that one. Also, I've really enjoyed her, her own podcast, which she launched very recently called Dear Chelsea, well worth checking out. It is, as you would guess from the title, essentially Chelsea and her friend, I think her, her personal assistant's name is Brandon, if I remember correctly, and he's kind of the co-host, um, and they dispense advice. People send in, uh, or they call in, actually, and they have the callers on the show, which is great, um, and also has, they have like celebrity guests like Charlize Theron, you know, dropped in once uh, on a recent episode. Um, and yeah, again, very funny, very interesting, and um, well worth checking out. Dear Chelsea is the podcast. So that's the main event on today's Happy, Sad, Confused. As always, a bunch of other things to mention. Uh, I think I teased a couple of these things last week, but by now, the conversation with Emma Stone that I conducted for MTV News is up on MTV News's YouTube page. Check out my social media as well. I put it up there. Um, delightful chat with, uh, with Emma, who... Um, I've known virtually since the start. I didn't actually talk to her for super bad, but I did meet her on The Rocker. Anybody remember The Rocker out there, in which she starred opposite Rain Wilson? I have some stories about covering that one. Um, nothing bad about any of the talent, but it's just some funny stories uh, that I'll, <laughs> I'll share at some point if you guys are so interested. Um, and The House Bunny. So I, I very quickly got to know uh, Emma in the early, my early years at MTV, right after Superbad and right as her career was starting to take off. And, you know, as I always say, it's always fascinating to chart someone's progress through the industry, through life. And that's kind of one, one of the joys of doing this for as long as I have is to kind of get to see them at the beginning and the middle and later, et cetera. So, um, yeah, this was a fun catch up with Emma. She, of course, has the new film Cruella, which is well worth checking out in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. 
Um, if you didn't catch last week's episode of the podcast, made a lot of noise. It was, of course, with Zack Snyder. That was a blast. Uh, and as always, you know, we're, we just wrapped up for the first month of the Patreon, the Happy, Sad, Confused Patreon, where you can get all sorts of bonus goodies, video versions of the podcast. You can watch the Chelsea Handler podcast, watch her and I chat. Uh, you can watch the first two episodes of Game Night. We have a slew of Game Night episodes coming um, very, very soon. Some very big, very big, very big stars. That was not just skipping on the podcast. That was me just repeating it for emphasis. Um, so really psyched about that. Go over to patreon.com slash happy, say confused. Check out what we're all about over there. Um, and in the meantime, enjoy the free stuff over here on the main podcast, The Mothership. This is me and Chelsea Handler. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Spread the good word. Here's me and Chelsea. There's no pomp and circumstance, Chelsea Handler, but you are now a part of the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, whether you like it or not. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, you are a woman of many talents. You're an author, a comedian, a talk show host, a nemesis of Piers Morgan. Um, that's actually the, that's the thing I think you should take the most pride in and that you took that bastard down a peg or two. I, I take a lot of pride in my interactions with Piers Morgan. That wasn't the only time that I told him what I think of him, but it was the only public time. And I think using his own show to talk to him about what an asshole he oh. was and is was really was I even look back I just look back at it so fondly oh as you should you should take great pride in it I mean I remember seeing it years ago but like when he was finally justifiably sacked it was just a great excuse to re-watch that gem of a conversation as you said on his own turf no less um right. did you know I mean you can tell a lot about a person you can tell I'm a, I'm a wonderful honest human being right from the start you could tell that Pierce is a was an asshole I assume in the first moments that you met him yeah, I mean, he's pretty He's pretty loud about being an asshole. Right, he doesn't hide it. It's pretty <laughs> that's, easy to pick up that's, on. That's his brand, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I mentioned you obviously have a lot of talents. You, uh, in the last year, there's a lot to talk about because I watched your uh, special Evolution and greatly enjoyed it, the HBO Max special. Thank um, you. You recorded it during this last Hellscape year for all of us. Um, was, before we get into the actual special, I'm just curious, like what 2020 looked like for you. Did you, were you one of those people that like learned a new language and learned how to bake bread or were you just, yeah, what was it like? I know, I don't know how to make bread and I never will. And um, I, I didn't learn a language. I, uh, I took the first few months, well, I was stuck at home, you know, for a while. And then I got antsy and I was like, okay, the East Coast seemed to be opening up. And I thought this might be a good opportunity to film my special, you know, like why not go East, have it be like kind of a homecoming of sorts. Cause it kind of definitely had that vibe to it. And I also really was felt compelled to put something out there during this time for my Absolutely. fans and, and to give levity to a time in our lives that was really dark and un, unexpected and, and, um, you know, un, unknowing, none of us knew where, what was happening. And I just wanted to lend my voice. I wanted to be, it was important. I mean, I was going to do the special regardless, you know, of the pandemic, but I could have waited until after, but I, I felt really passionate about doing it during the pandemic and kind of, setting the tone that like 
you know, things are going to be a little bit harder to film during this time, but it's so much more worthwhile because people really need it. They need the connection. They need the humaneness of it. And so uh, I just kept thinking like it was, you know, a little bit like a foot soldier. I'm like, I'm doing this for, for not just for myself. This is actually something that feels like I'm contributing more than taking, you know? Yeah, so th me, this is what you do. This is how you contribute. This is part of the deal. Like this is how you can help kind of contribute to people's happiness in a way. Yeah, so I mean, the people that are happy when I contribute, you know? <laughs> so I wanted to do that. Yeah, I felt pretty, pretty passionate about it. And then, you know, once I said, listen, this is going to happen. I don't care what the audience size is. I don't care. Uh, I, you know, I know what the show is and I had to have a lot of faith in my own abilities and my own, you know, to know that like, okay, it could be 50 people by the time they open up or it could be 250 people at the, at the show. Yeah. But I got past all of that. And I just focused on, you know, the task at hand, which for me was a great exercise because for many, many years, I did so many things at the same time, instead of taking each project seriously in its own right and lifting the integrity of your work by paying such close attention to it. Yep. So it was a great exercise. It was very humbling practicing and getting ready for this in comedy clubs where there was like 30 people allowed to, you know, be. And, and I hadn't performed in any of those places in so many years. So all in all, the experience was very humbling. And, and, you know, it just, it was, a, there was a lot of perseverance entailed and I felt pretty, pretty strong about, setting that kind of goal and making it happen no matter what. Do you, do you still think of yourself as a stand-up first? I mean, is that in your bones? Like what you would at the passport, you know, agency, what do you tell them? What's your, what's your occupation? Yeah. I'm always confused when they ask. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I usually write author because that usually like, I don't want, you know, that, that usually stops the conversation. Right. <laughs> oh, no you more, write? No oh, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, exactly. yeah. No, fuck. Uh, no. Uh, yes. But yeah, I do think of myself as a stand-up first. I mean, it's how I began and it's how I communicate right. through humor. Um, I've had an evolution and I've become a, you know, a more adult, mature person, but I've brought all the immaturity and silliness with me in a more responsible way now you know now i feel good about everything i'm putting out there i didn't feel bad before but i had a lack of awareness yeah. you know about how maybe my jokes were impacting others or you know using cheap jokes or you know cheap laughs and 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 the challenge of having to get your comedy to a different you know to elevate it is something i welcome you know i love to have a structure because i'm such chaos that I love when someone says, okay, you have to stay inside these lines and build a house. And it's like, okay, right. okay, let me think about this. Like, bring it on, you know? Um, and I think a lot of women feel that way. Like, we're ready to make, make a change, make a difference, make a contribution, think about others, and, you know, work towards more empathy. Women are, like, on board for that in a way that a lot of, you know, straight white men are not. Was your stand-up always that honest and personal. I mean, this, you really do go through an arc even within this, this show. By the end of it, you know, it, it hits kind of like some of the familiar kind of topics that you often hit, but by the end, it get, gets pretty deep and emotional about obviously losing your brother at a young age and, 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 and you know, talking about your relationships with men and, and kind of like understanding what that, where that comes from. Um, did it take a while to kind of be able to be honest in that way? I mean, for me, the, the real challenge for this show was allowing myself the space to be quiet and vulnerable and to have that moment 
and not rush through that moment. Because as a stand-up, I'm sure you can imagine when there is a too much time that elapses without a laugh, you're right. like, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta do something funny. I gotta say something funny. I gotta totally. get fuck. Or, you know, like, it's so easy to get that. Right. It's so hard to restrain yourself. And my whole life has been about impulses and acting on them and not thinking things through. So my agent was very adamant about making that moment like he's like, listen, you get a laugh every 30 seconds for 45 minutes. You're allowed to take five minutes to tell your story, right. tell it and let it sit there. Like, let everybody go through this with you, you know, and I, I listened to that and it was very hard because, you know, you, you have this emotional moment and then I immediately wanted to fix it. Like make everyone laugh right away. Totally. Right? So I would kind of, you know, when I was practicing, I kept steamrolling over the really important parts because I wasn't comfortable with the silence and, and I had to become comfortable with it. And everyone was right there with me every single time that I practiced it. As long as I was present and in the moment, everyone was with me. Yeah. And it was a great lesson because you are allowed to be vulnerable. You know, you are allowed to tell your story, even in the in even in the medium of stand-up, you know, it's important. And Hannah Gadsby did it so effortlessly. Well, not effortlessly. I'm sure it took a lot of effort, but she did it so beautifully that I thought, oh, we can do that. I can well, do that. Yeah, I have it's, a version of that. And it, it, it's, you know, I think about like, you know, the, the stand-ups comedians that I've like known and followed for, for years, whether it's you or someone like Sandler when he did a stand-up and like by the end of that last stand-up special when he's talking about Chris Farley and you're like, ready to sob it's like kind of like you've earned our trust and by then you can go there um and it, it becomes just that much more resonant and powerful because like you've given us what we want like we came for the the, the funny but now right. it's like you're really opening yourself up and that's that's kind of a profound thing for an artist yeah it was definitely a nice you know it was a it was it, i feel a lot more mature as an artist as a performer as a stand-up now you know um, I just, I, I felt like it gave me a lot of, uh, it gave me a lot of confidence in my own ability to create something out of scratch, basically, yeah. you know, and the evolution, you know, like I wrote a book, I did a, the, a book about it, then I did that, the book tour and through that book tour by telling these stories over and over again, I go, oh, this is a stand-up show. Like you're doing stand-up, basically sitting down during your book tour interviews. Right. And the thought was, you know, so... I hadn't done stand-up in so many years and I didn't think I was going to do it again. And then I just realized like, oh, wow, I could, I could turn this into something. And this is something that I would be really proud to put out there. And also unexpected for me, you know, nobody's expecting me to, you know, talk about stuff like that. And uh, it gives people a real, like a clearer vision of who I am or a, a clearer idea rather than thinking the person is one dimension, you know, or you know, not multidimensional. And so it's, it, that, that was very fulfilling and, you know, the response has been very fulfilling. So yeah, I'm back into stand-up now. I'm about to start touring next week. So I'm like, Amazing. I'm over it. I'm like, I'm, you know, it brought me back to my roots, which was kind of a full circle for the whole story. Let's talk about drugs, Chelsea. Um, so take a look at me. What would, what do you make of me? Am I some, what, what are my predilections? What's are you a little my... bit of a nervous drug taker? You're, you probably don't go bananas, right? You're a little nervous. I could tell. I've never, I've never done it. I drink. That's it. I mean, which is the drug obviously, as we know, yeah. but that, that, but that's it. 
I can tell by your disposition that you would probably have a bad reaction to most things because you probably have a nervous feeling about them. And that doesn't bode well for you enjoying the experience. You have to have a little bit of a loosey goosey personality. And yes, so let's it, just skip that for you and you stick to alcohol. So I, yeah, I was gonna say, so you think it's too late for me given what you're spot on, obviously. Um, 45 year old man, nervous disposition, basically cut out of, <laughs> cut out of, cut out of a Woody Allen movie, basically. Uh, just, just stick with a liquor and I'm good. Uh, yeah, I would stay with the alcohol. You don't want to push. Listen, I've tried pushing this agenda on some of my friends that are similar to you or kind of have, you know, they, and they don't. And I'm, I'm always thinking like, no, I can get everyone on board with cannabis. Like cannabis, is, it's a new era, you know, microdosing. You could take a milligram. Like why not help yourself out with your anxiety or your sleep issues or whatever the issues are. But I've learned now after prescribing lots of cannabis to a lot of unsuspecting customers, that it is just not for everybody. Wait, what do you mean unsuspecting? Are you are you putting doses in? Are you putting giving them brownies that they don't know uh, have well, the? I don't, I don't do that, but people do come to me for drugs all the time, and I dole them out. And I, you know, I'll, I have overdosed people in terms of I've given them too strong of an edible, and then I haven't heard the end of it for two years. So it's like, listen, <laughs> it's not worth this it. Isn't worth my fucking time. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> complain and complain. I don't call my doctor and complain and complain when he fucks up. <laughs> <laughs> do you have the the work? Obviously, I mean, you know, you know what you respond to and how you respond to things. But I would think for someone like you, you have to be so sharp. Like you have to, like that's your that's your whole thing. Like you, you don't want to dull your senses in any way, I would think to be a consummate performer. So has there never been a worry that like this stuff is going to add up at a certain point, it's going to start to like, just dull. dull. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's a matter of how you live your life. Yes, of course. If I sat around and just got stoned all the time, which is what I did for the first two weeks of the pandemic. Yeah. You start to feel a little dumb, but you know, I, I think I just took a 30 day break because somebody called into my podcast about that. Yeah. smoking too much. And I was like, oh, I'll do a 30 day detox with you. And I did it. And I was like, oh, yeah, my mental clarity is like, I'm as sharp as a tack now. But, you know, you I, I like to use cannabis appropriately. I don't like it to use me. I don't like to have so much that I don't know what, you know, what I was just talking about. You know, that's fun when you're on vacation once in a while. Right. My girlfriend and I have a joke. I'm like, what did you just say? She's like, I don't know. I wasn't listening. I'm like, I, but you were talking. She's like, I, I know, but I wasn't listening. I'm like, neither one of us is listening to a fucking thing. Um, so, no. Yeah. But you can use it for creativity. I mean, I definitely used it in my book when I wanted to, like, I would... You know, I write in a way and then I go back and, and punch it up with stories and jokes in it. So yeah. I would always use it for that to, you know, because you do have funny, a funny way of thinking when you're a little stone. And my personality is just so open and, and um, free spirited when it comes to that. Like, I always know I'm going to have a good time. Nothing ever really like knocks me out or drags me down. Of course, I've had you know, a couple or two questionable experiences, but overall, I'm pretty in control of my mind. So if you kind of go into, you know, cannabis, it's like setting your intention for anything else. Like if you go in and you're like, all right, I don't want to be too fucked up. I don't want to be out of it. I just right. want to take the edge off. Right. I just want to be a little bit more laughy or a little bit more talkative, you know? Um, for me, it's helpful when I don't feel like communicating because I communicate all all the time. I, and if I'm going to an event, it totally helps me socialize when I'm like tapped out. Have you learned, what were the worst places over the course of your life that you've indulged perhaps? Like, you know, is it 
does it work at a wedding, at a funeral, on a plane? Are there the, the places you know that are off the list that like, this is just not worth? No, no. For me, I can pretty much operate under that, under the influence in any of those situations and have. I remember being at my nephew's bar mitzvah and it was two hours or three hours long. And I was like, there are not enough edible. Like I was so mad at my sister. I said, you can't expect me to sit through a three hour bar mitzvah. Like it's just unreasonable. This is like, I I already got bat mitzvah. I don't want to fucking go to any bat mitzvah ever again. And she was like, just take some of your edibles. I said, there aren't enough edibles to make this fun. There just aren't. Uh, So yeah, like it works you know, for all of those things. My father's funeral, we all took edibles. (laughs) My whole brother, my whole family, my brothers and sisters literally lined up and I gave them each an edible right before we had to start talking to people. They just put their hand out. And you know what? It's actually made our family really like, uh, in a way, like we've just had, once edibles came on the scene, because we go every year, we go to Whistler and we had this guy bake us cookies one year. And so we didn't, this was before things were labeled and everything. And so he was just handing them out and to, to our family and we'd go out to dinner. I'd give everybody a half a cookie and we'd laugh our asses off. And then the next year, my sisters were like, where are the edibles? Like, this is what keeps our family going. And so it's kind of our family. A beautiful handler yeah, kind of tradition. Period. This is so sweet. Yeah. A beautiful handler reunarse, as they say in Espana. <laughs> like what you're added I, here's my sense about you in terms of like I think of your relation to like LA wellness self-help is kind of like there's contradictory because I feel like you're kind of like that's your scene but you also have like a very good bs meter for for things and like I, is there a yin and yang where like you know you're you're constantly exploring and, and and seeking out ways to improve yourself mentally and physically but you also kind of like this you have the self-awareness my is my sense that like some of this is kind of crazy and i mean oh, in- yeah no it's there's a whole crock of bullshit being served up in la for sure right. and you know my problem was that i actually grouped therapy into that like i was like oh therapies where people go to silent retreats and everyone's doing fucking yoga and eating kale chips and it goes on and on and on and on and every you know in Lululemon only, and you know everyone's doing deep stretching for no reason. So yeah, I definitely have that attitude. I'm from New Jersey, I can't help it. I find it bullshit in everything. I'm like, this is so stupid, but I'm open-minded. I will try anything because who fucking knows if something's gonna work or if it's not going to. The most important thing is to have your own opinion, right? Like yeah. not be swayed and be a follower like everyone else. At least that is important for me. I don't like to be, you know, throwing around things like, you know, a hundred percent even. And when I hear that, I'm like, oh, fucking shut up. It's like these stupid phrases, correct. Now everyone's like, correct, correct. Or they say dead in the middle of your sentence, they go dead. It's like, I have a lot of dead people that would argue with you being dead right now. <laughs> but like I am like, I don't like trends. I don't like when everybody's talking about something, even if it's a great book and I read a ton of books, even if it's a great book, everyone's talking about it. I'm like, it's too annoying that everyone's talking about the same book. I'll read and read educated next year. Right. Or, you know, like I'm very anti-trendy. So I definitely do have a mind of my own, but I am open-minded because there are so many things that can help you. And I was so judgy about people who spent too much time in therapy. And then I went to therapy and I spent, you know, a good two years going and took it very seriously and, and changed completely. My, you know, my personality has changed. So what's the biggest day to day? Like how would that, what would friends say about you 
before and after therapy. That's the biggest change. I'm much kinder. Like I'm much, I don't tell people what I think when they're not asking as much. I don't insert myself when it's not necessary. I do everything with a little bit of extra love and kindness, knowing that I am brash and that my personality is I, is heavy and like energized and that it can be intimidating. Like right. I have a better understanding of how I come across from therapy. So I have a better understanding of how to pre- like not present myself because it's not a presentation. It's just a more, I have a deeper understanding that everyone's a little bit different and people need to be handled differently. You know, you can't just have a one size fits all because that's not fair. When, you, when you're in the Chelsea Handler orbit as a friend, is part of the bargain that like some of your escapades, fun life with you might become fodder for the work? And has that gotten you into trouble over the years? Have you had to set boundaries on that kind of stuff? Well, they've wanted to set boundaries because I'm the one telling everyone everything in my books or my stand-up. Yes, it's been a problem. Many friends have been very upset with me. Family members have been upset with me. Um, So, (laughs) yes, I've gotten a little bit better about that because, you know, I don't just take the liberty or the license anymore. I try and really think of creative ways to not make it obvious and and change, you know, change that person's identity, which you kind of are legally bound to do when you write a book like mine anyway. When you're telling true stories about real people, you kind of either have to get their permission or you have to fictionalize them. Right. So, um, you know, I try to be more mindful about that for sure. Uh, but it's an ongoing thing because it is my life. It's like, you know, my family, I'm about to start doing stand-up. I have a whole bit about how, like, unwoke my brother and my nephew are, as even though they think they're, you know, progressive and liberal. It's like, Okay, guys, listen, you don't fucking know half of it, you idiots. You know, you're not practicing what you preach. So, you know, they're not going to be happy about that. Me they haven't heard that bit yet? They're, they're No, nobody's heard it yet. I haven't done it yet. I've just written it. I've written a bunch of stuff, and then I go and workshop it for about two weeks, and then I will go on tour. One person in your orbit that, that we share a bit, and I can't claim to be nearly as close, but I've known her for many years, is, is Charlize, who I know popped up. Uh, on the podcast recently, and that was uh, delightful. Was she? Did you give her a heads up? She's doing laundry in the middle. It's seemingly in that. Did you give her any like, hey, I might, I might hit you up in a second? Yes, or... yes, I gave her a heads up. I talked to her the day before, and I was like, hey, we need you to call into the podcast for this thing, and da da da. And she's a close friend of mine and has been for a long time. So uh, I'm glad she's in your orbit because she is one of the. the yeah. She's one of the other people like in this industry that I'm tight with that is like that. No bullshit. You know what I mean? And we talked about that on the podcast. We talked about you know she and I having a fight when we were in South Africa together once, and and that was a perfect example. Like I would never have been able to apologize for that had I not been going to therapy. My therapist gave me very specific instructions, like. It doesn't matter if you think you're right or if you think you're wrong, you hurt someone's feelings and that's it. You have to take accountability for that and then just apologize and listen. And, you know, if I hadn't done that, our friendship probably would have been over. So she is, uh, and she respected that I did that, you know, and when you are really upfront and vulnerable with somebody and willing to take responsibility for hurting their feelings, that's pretty much all anybody really needs. How do you pronounce your last name? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. This is what I was going to, I think you mispronounced her last name. I only say this because she has given me, I think it's Theron because I've been in her presence where she has given me such shit for mispronouncing her name and I'm resentful. I don't think she knows how to pronounce her name. (laughs) 
<laughs> so don't even listen to what she's telling you. I know. I really shouldn't. I shouldn't let her get in my head. I'm going to uh, pronounce it Tehran. Yeah, now. let's do. I'm, I'm with you there. We're gonna we're gonna start that I'm campaign. Change it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk. Uh, you like? I think we share uh, most politics uh, together. I follow you on Twitter. Um, we were both. I think had our brains melted by 2016's events. Um, do, do you think we're? Are, are we going to be okay, Chelsea? That's, I mean, are, are we out of the woods? I don't know if we are no, judging, no, right? We are not out of the woods. We are, we know. I, I don't know that we're going to be okay. It's very, very, it's a really scary time when you look at the po political climate in this country and you look at what people think is okay. I mean, look at how many, I mean, I, I don't understand what's going on. I like to think that there's like a bigger picture that we all can't see. And that, you know, these small incremental steps like, you know, Biden in office and winning Georgia are leading us to the right place. But then you look at all of the, the rollback on voting, you look at these abortion laws that they're passing and the Supreme Court is hearing this new abortion or this old abortion case. But you look at the state of Texas and you look at the Republican Party, you know, they have a basically a sexual predator who sits on several committees that that they leave there. And it's pretty clear this guy had sex with an you know, underage girl, we'll find out more, but all roads are leading to that direction, yet they remove this esteemed congresswoman for telling the truth. I mean, it's fucking scary. And I went, you know, I went to Canada at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, not the beginning, sorry, the beginning of uh, over Christmas. Yeah. I went and um, I have a place in Whistler and I, I went up there and I, it was after Atlanta, it was after we won Georgia. And I remember just thinking, oh, this is like walking into civilization. No one was arguing about wearing a mask. People who don't want to wear them are, are, are just wearing them and not complaining or fighting about it in the middle of a CVS. I mean, I don't even think they have CVS there, but whatever the fuck, it, Rexall, that's what they have there. Um, and it was just a different, completely different environment and i just thought how sad that america has gotten so out of control yeah and we're so lost in so many ways and i think you know i just am not a hopeless person i'm always trying to think like okay things are going to sort themselves out in the right way but i feel you i know i know it's just unbelievable the leaders of the, it's like the man lost the election he lost the house of representatives he lost the senate and he lost the state of georgia and they are still kissing his ass he's it's, a loser they and they won't i mean as we tape this today won't investigate a attempted coup but they, <laughs> the but they voted that i thought that passed in the house so but, what's the I, I'm not, I don't know the intricacies, but it seems like it's still in, in somewhat doubt. I don't know. Kevin McCarthy well, like adds to the list of the worst human beings on the planet. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy can go fucking suck a duck. But <laughs> there are, I think we're like 25 or 26 Republicans that voted. It did pass in the House and it has to pass in the Senate, which I still don't understand why we can't just pass things in the Senate since we have the Senate. It's like, why? Why are we still like trying to pass bipartisan shit? We won. Yeah, but. by a significant margin. Um, I also worry. Obviously, celebrity is no is not a, a recent development in politics, going back to, to Reagan. But like, you know, is Dwayne Johnson's going to be our next president, isn't he? I feel like he's going to run. Like, I don't know if that's. The, I love Dwayne Johnson, but is, is he that really? Is he really going to run for president? I feel like he is. 
I really do feel like it is. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's not God. the right path for us, is it? I mean. Well, I don't listen. I mean, I, I, I would, when that came up during Trump, while Trump was in office, I was like, listen, I'll take an actual rock at this point as our president. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Who cares about Dwayne the Rock Johnson? But uh, I don't know why. I mean, I don't see how that would play out. I, I feel like we're all a little celebrity out with the celebrity presidents, to be quite frank with you. What about where, where you are, uh, Caitlyn Jenner's uh, gubernatorial No, I'm not, voting, I'm not voting for her either. She doesn't have the qualifications I'm looking for in a governor. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about your lovely podcast, which we've alluded to a, a little bit. Dear Chelsea, again, we've added to the many list of, of um, things, you're, uh, uh, jobs you're qualified for. You're the new Dear Abby, apparently. Um, appointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you the go-to person for advice generally in your friend circle? Um, well, you know, I have a long history of giving unsolicited advice. So there's always been that element, right. whether people were interested in hearing it or not. And then I kind of tapered that off when I went to therapy and realized how obnoxious that was. Uh, but I am a friend that- So this is your outlet. So now that yeah. friends won't take your advice, strangers like, have to take your hey, advice. Hey, will you take my advice? If you ask me, then I can give it. <laughs> right. um, but again, it was just another project where I thought, I don't want to do another podcast where I'm just, or a podcast where I'm interviewing celebrities. Like, what am I going to do to contribute, right? Like, right. what what am I doing to contribute? Is this a vanity project? I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that stuff, you know, when I don't have to. And so I thought about a way people do come to me a lot. I am kind of like great in a crisis and I want people to be able to be braver and everyone always, you know, everyone always needs a little oomph at a certain time in their lives. They need that push from their best friend. Who's going to be like, you go, you've got this go and take a risk or leave this relationship. It's not working for you or quit that job and do try a new adventure. Go move to Seattle. Like I am that person that's going to push you and say, yeah, come on, believe in yourself. And, and I have a lot of, you know, misplaced confidence and I want to help other people get that confidence, not the misplaced part, but I want people to feel like I do, like be confident in your ability to make a decision, to make a move in your life, to make a change in your life and to be bold, you know, and a lot of people really are lacking self-confidence. Uh, a couple of questions from, from my audience here. So this is from uh, Christine Camiello Gordon. Um, she wants to know who your go-to person is for trusted advice. So who do you turn, turn to? Well, I turn to Brandon, my assistant a lot. He's on my podcast with me. So we do couples counseling. We're the couple, but we, and then individuals call, but we should move on to couples counseling at some point. I'm interested in that. I love interpersonal dynamics. Um, uh, and so I go to, yeah, I go to him a lot. I have a cousin, Molly, who I'm very, very close with. I go to her a lot. Um, I have like a small group of like five to seven people that I, you know, if I'm not sure about something, I bounce it off of a lot of people um, until I get the answer I want. Right. <laughs> Are you sure? Could you try? What about? Yeah. yeah. And if they don't agree with it, I'm like, uh, and then I'll ask another and I'll right. ask another. And if it's getting no feedback, I'm like, okay, this is not the right thing. Um, so yeah, I just, I want to be that for other people. And uh it's just been so fun recording this podcast because we thought we would get stupid problems, you know, and we do, but we get so many meaningful people calling in with meaningful, like life choices. Yeah. And so sometimes we're a little bit out of our wheelhouse. And when we are, we're, we have no problem admitting it and calling in an expert. We had Deepak, we have Deepak Chopra coming on, you know, people like that who can really 
lend their voice, you know, with some real credibility. Yeah. Since, you know, I'm just, I just think I'm a doctor, even though I'm technically not one and have to constantly audibly remind my listeners not to. <laughs> 10 minutes of disclaimers doctor. before every podcast starts, just exactly. so you remember. Um, Becky Flores wanted to know what your advice is about online dating, um, which is the best and worst. I assume meaning which apps I don't, I don't even know, but what's your, what are you, what's your take on online dating nowadays? Well, I got to tell you, I was visiting my sister last weekend and she was just going through her hinge or some a profile, or maybe it was Bumble. I think it was hinge. And I was going through it. Like, I mean, and I was like, is this how men are representing themselves? Like, I mean, it is just so depressing. I am totally for online dating, but you've got to have the appetite because it's a numbers game. You've got to go out with as many people as you can stomach in order to try and find your Cinderella. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have, and that applies to men and women. Like you have to, to find your person, you just have to really be ready to go through it. And that's the thing with online dating. You know, I've been on this website, Raya, a bunch, and I, I've used that, and but I haven't been on the main ones um, in a, a long time. So I can't really speak to that, but I'm totally pro people actively looking for a partner when they want one you know that's what you should there's no shame in that at all um g going back if you'll indulge me like for uh, uh, in terms of kind of a more of a career look at uh, look at your again multifaceted career i'm just fascinated sort of like the evolution of, of your career because you know it seems like most people learned about you with chelsea lately but i'm curious like but prior to that was there a fork in the road for you like when you kind of like had to make a choice of what you were really going to pursue whether it was like i'm going to be damn it i'm going to be an actor i'm going to be a stand up i'm going to be a host like or were you just kind of like throwing a lot of stuff out pursuing all of it and whatever stuck is where you ended up um i mean i think the acting thing for me i knew early on that it wasn't going to be the right fit necessarily for when i was when i was coming up because I didn't have an easy time spitting out other people's words. Right. I wanted to be in control of my words. And I didn't know, I was. I never grew up thinking, oh, I'm gonna be a stand-up. Or I didn't even know that was an option um, until somebody mentioned it to me and said, you should do stand-up, like your story. And I was like, stand-up, stand-up. And I was like, huh, like you create your whole own thing. No one's, you're on stage with a microphone alone. <laughs> so no one could even interrupt you. And I was like, oh. This is an interesting medium, but of course it scared the living shit out of me. But again, I, you know, I, I took the chance, I did it. And the, and the reward was, was incredible because when you position yourself as a standup, the projects that you, that you do are built around you, you yeah. know, they're built with you as the central focus. And then you get to, you get to create like that. Whereas being an actor, you're kind of placed in roles instead of, creating the roles you know now things are different because so many people are producing their stuff and they are creating their own material but at that time it was a great way to stay in control of my career without being slotted in as like you know the blonde pretty neighbor or the blonde wife who's married to some fat ugly middle-aged guy you know like i didn't have to do that stuff um so yeah in the sense of that like it, it wasn't me committing to stand up ended up being very fruitful for me. And it was just, it wasn't because it wasn't a strategy. It was just, it was the most, uh, it was the closest thing to fit my personality. Was there a temptation later on when you really achieved like a lot of success? Like I know you popped up in like, this means war, right? That, that like, which was a big studio movie. And you're kind of like, you know, the wisecracking best friend 
in that, and I'm sure there were other opportunities, I'm sure if you would wanted, you could have done kind of like the comedic vehicle and maybe kind of honored some of those early impulses or by then you were confident, like, no, again, stick with kind of the Chelsea world that I'm creating for myself or what? Yeah, it's just never, you know, I w I'm like, we're adapting my book, Chelsea, uh, sorry, Chelsea. <laughs> well, we're adapting my last book, Life Will Be the Death of Me to be a TV show and I yeah. will play myself in that. Okay. So for that kind of thing, like, yes, I am open to certain opportunities, but playing the, you know, the best friend in movies, that was something I did because Reese and I are close, we're close friends at that time and she wanted me to do it. And I was like, sure, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So that was just a kind of simple, like, sure. Uh, and, you know, I've done a couple of those roles, but it's not, you know, it's not my first passion. It's not, you know, I don't want to spend my days on sets when there is an opportunity that presents itself that's unique or cool or unexpected. I'm always interested and always open-eared about uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, but it hasn't been the kind of cornerstone of my career by any means. So well, I don't I, I don't really rely on, you know, the acting component of things in my career. What's the filter for you as a producer? Because I know you have a couple, mentioned one, I think you have a couple projects going at HBO Max. Um, again, is it just sort of like what you respond to, what people come to you with, or is it self-generated like your, you know, your, book of a list of ideas and like, let's pursue these five things or how does yeah, it work? I mean, it comes from all different places. I have a production company and I have an over, uh, overall deal at UTV Universal. And so I have a production company and then, you know, it's a, I could read an article in the paper and say, go buy the rights to that story. I can read a book. I just, you know, optioned the rights to a book by Rebecca Solnit and called Men Explain Things to Me because I was like, this is a good time to, for us to do that. Um, yeah, so it's a matter of just getting you know, I read a ton. So I get a lot of my inspiration from reading. Yeah. And, um, and, and then the people in my company also work on bringing me young com comedians to develop. And, you know, that's something I'm passionate about. But yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be a little bit better than silly at this point in my life. You yeah. know, it's got to hold a little bit more heft than just being some kind of, you know, silliness. They're serious times. I get, I get it. Um, uh, you, for a second, you is speaking of silly things, but rewarding in their, their own way. You were attached to like a Marvel thing. You were going to like develop like an animated Marvel. Yeah, project. that fell apart, but I don't even know what happened there. So I can't really speak to it. Okay. I just learned about it in the news. I was oh, like, no. wait, what? <laughs> I guess yeah. we're not doing that one. We'll do something yeah, I else. Guess that, that isn't happening. I was going to do the voice for this character for Mar Marvel, but I'm not. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, when when the talk show happened and it blew up like had that been on a list for you were you go were you were you like was that an aspiration or was it again something that's circumstantially like oh this could be fun let's see if this suits me and if this works yeah i would say like the one consistent theme in my career has been that i'm not a very strategic person i don't have big plans i just kind of take every moment and go okay great like i wasn't trying to be a talk show host I had a deal at E and I did my first show at E, which was like a, you know, a variety kind of show, a sketch show. Right. And that didn't do very well, but they wanted me to do something on the network. So they kind of were like, what about every night, you know, doing a, like a half hour talk show? And, and I, you know, I just was, I kind of wrapped my head around the idea and thought I could do that easily. That's, that's so easy. And then it, you know, it blew up in its own way. But it wasn't like I sat down and was like, I'm going to be a talk show host and then I'm going to do this. I'm going to become an author. Everything kind of 
I tried, I'll try everything and the things that work great. And if they don't work, that's okay too. You know, that there's no harm in any of that. So I'm always just open to trying whatever. So did you feel at the time in those years you were being held to a different standard based on your gender? I mean, I think about like, I grew up, like I loved Letterman was my guy, right? And like he, his, his being acerbic was like his greatest strength and people loved that. And it was, that is the same for you to a degree, but many, some responded in a different way to that. And I, and I would surmise that some of that was based on the fact that you happen to be a woman and not a man. Did you yeah. feel, did Absolutely. you feel that? I mean, in retrospect, I, I can recognize it in the moment. I wasn't thinking about those guys. People were comparing me to those guys. That's not the dialogue or narrative that was going on in my head. Yeah. I was completely focused on my show and my, and the group of friends I had around me at the show and all the comics and we had a fucking blast and it was fun. And I wasn't staying up late at night thinking about competing with men or sexism. I was just doing my thing. And, you know, that is something that I am good at is not looking around too much, you know, just kind of trying to stay focused and not compare and contrast and, and angling. Cause that is, there's a thirstiness and a competitiveness in that, that I don't inherently have, to be quite honest with you. I'm not super competitive. Right. I'm not like that. I, I want to just have a great time and inspire people and make them laugh and think, you know, I'm not like, I got to be the best. I got to be the best. I got to be number one. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, and I got to use this to get to like the late no. night network show. Like I didn't need that. Like, it, like you did it on your own terms at E pretty much. I mean, I'm sure there was some battles back and forth over the years, but like you kind of probably had more freedom, relatively speaking, than if you had been on a network in retrospect. Yeah, and I had those conversations. I mean, that that was something that I would, I well, you know, I could have done had I wanted to pursue that path. But no, the restrictions for network late night shows, well, I was like, no way am I going to be able to fit into those four corners, you know, and not yeah. say fuck shit, pit, you know, like that was the fun of the show is that it was so right. out of control. <laughs> So uh, looking ahead, it sounds like you're going to be busy because you are going back. You said you're going to be back on the road as of next week. Uh, yeah, I started. Yeah, I start doing shows next week. I do shows for like two, well, three weeks. I go to Nashville doing a bunch of shows. And then I just do a theater tour that I'm going to announce in the fall to start performing. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, you know, I'll work the hour, the new hour out. And uh, yeah, probably go off on white men, you know. <laughs> we deserve it. Um, uh, you guys you guys have had it coming for a long time. Yeah, we had our time. It's okay. It's your turn now. Uh, we're, we're all good. Um, Chelsea, it's really been a pleasure to get to know you today. I'm, I'm a big fan of your work. Everybody should check out the special uh, on HBO Max, Evolution, and Dear Chelsea, the podcast. I really dug both. And um, yeah, hopefully one of these days we'll meet in person. Oh, awesome. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>